It's uh, good to be together in God's house and to catch up with some people that you may know. If you weren't able to talk to someone then, there will be time afterwards to stay and have a coffee and tea and get to, get to speak to people later on. Uh, so do make the most of that time. If you can. Well. Just before I dive into the message today, you'll be aware that it's uh, Remembrance Sunday and so the town is um, full of people remembering uh, together and uh, many of us have got poppies or different ways of uh, marking the day and so what we're actually going to do, rather than stopping at 11 o'clock, which is always slightly confusing, I'm confused enough as a preacher, trying to hang on to enough thoughts in my head and stopping 10 minutes in would be tricky. So what I'm going to do is we're going to pause now and we're going to remember and uh, be thankful for those who've paid a price that we haven't paid um, that we might be free uh, politically and as uh, nations across the world. But we can also remember all those who've died in conflicts around the world. And uh, many of our families will be touched in different ways by that. Um, and this is not to pick one nation over another or one bit of history over somebody else's. We're just going to pause for a moment with gratitude and uh, remembrance. Father, our stories, our lives are intertwined here in this place. And if we sat and told stories of the things we've seen or the things our relatives have seen, we would be able to share many times of many difficult things and including times of war where one nation has fought against another or even parts of one nation have fought against another. And Lord, our lives our families' lives are marked by these events. And we thank you that we today can enjoy a huge measure of freedom. We thank you that that has been bought at a price that we have not paid. We thank you, Lord, for those who have uh, taken a place. And as a result, we are where we are, enjoying freedom. Lord, we don't take their sacrifice for granted, but all of that leads us to the one who made the ultimate sacrifice. All of that points us to Jesus, who wasn't called to fight a battle for a nation. There was no patriotism involved, nor, no posters recruiting, no forcing. But Lord Jesus, you stepped in and paid a price that we could not pay. And you bought a freedom that is eternal, non-political, non-partisan, and rescues people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we say thank you for the freedom we enjoy in your name. Amen. Do you take your seats, those of you that are standing. Thank you. Well... Um, you will know that we've, most of you, if you've, and this is your first time here, that recently we've been doing a series on community. And um, last week I was sitting listening to Joeda preaching and thinking, oh dear. I really was. I mean, some of you will have been here. How many of you were here? Okay, you can put your hands down. I was thinking, oh no, as she was preaching all the way through. Because I was thinking, I've got to preach this week. How am I going to follow that? And uh, sometimes you get those kind of messages that, that just... It's one of those you need to be there kind of moments, isn't it? We think, were you there when this happened? And um, it was a bit like that last week, as it will have been for many of you at the weekend away that we had a couple of weeks ago. 
And um, this, this new series that we're looking at in the run-up to Christmas, God is, um, with the strapline James has mentioned, what we believe about God changes everything, has, is helping us focus on God after focusing on, on stuff that we do ourselves and our, our own community. And it's come out of a conviction that actually uh, that, that is true, the strapline's true. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, we're phrasing it like this, what we believe about God changes everything. And it was quite a number of years ago that God laid on my heart to do some teaching on identity and to look at our identity in Christ and who, how God sees us. And I, I, don't, I, I must have been influenced by that from somewhere. There's no original thought anywhere in the world, is there? But as, I was kind of, as the years went on, I heard more and more about this kind of identity teaching. And, and it's just, I'm, I'm hearing in recent years so much emphasis on who we are. I just wonder if we're in danger of forgetting who God is. You see, who we are only flows out of who he is. And so I just think in the run-up to Christmas, it'd be wonderful to see both together, that we see who he is and that will overflow into who we are. And we can tie the two together again and uh, just enjoy understanding a bit more about who God is and see how that transforms us. And, and sometimes when we preach, we're preaching information. Sometimes when we preach, we're preaching revelation. So information is stuff that you learn and you regurgitate. And uh, some of us have had incredibly inspiring teachers at school that aren't, pre- aren't teaching information. They're teaching out of a passion. And, but others of us have had teachers that have taught information. And you sit and you go, yeah, I could have read this. And it would have been a lot quicker than sitting here doing this right now. And you, you kind of have those moments, don't you, where it's just information. Well, I hope this today isn't information. But sometimes you have um, inspiration where you know it's kind of a, a, a God-breathed word. Sometimes you have revelation. And sometimes you get the kind of benefit of wisdom as people are sharing out of years of the result of insight revelation that's been lived out into wisdom. Well, today I'm somewhere between insight and revelation, I believe, as I'm sharing what God's put on my heart today, because I haven't had time to transform this into wisdom, uh, because this is coming out of a, a word that God said very personally to me at the weekend away that we had. At the back end of the weekend away, we'd, on Sunday morning, we'd had a, a, a preach. A guy called Tim Roberts had preached, and then his wife Helen had preached, and um, they, as part of the preach, had called us to, to step into what God wanted us to do and step out of what we'd, whatever God wanted us to leave behind. And they set a long piece of string at the front of the room and encouraged us to step over. And I stood for quite a long time. I was on the front row and uh, other people had gone out and over the string and some had gone out the door to get a bit of fresh air and to process some time with God. And I just stood. I knew I had to weigh this up because for me it was a weighty moment. And I stood and I was weighing up what? Lord, what is it you want me to leave behind? And what do you want me to cross into? And Judith came and stood with me eventually. I think she'd sort of wondered what on earth was going on as I just stood as people were going past. And, and I knew in the end what I had to leave behind. And the result of what I'm going to speak about today is, is a word that God spoke to me after I'd crossed over and after I'd kind of, God had done some business with me. And this is what, um, it's, it's come out of that. So the message is God is... And you can take your pick. The top one is the one he said to me. And, and the flip side of that is the bottom one. You, I don't mind what you call this message today. But I heard God say to me, Stuart, I'm not disappointed in you. And you need to hear today. Well, I was encouraged by that. But you might need to hear today, God is not disappointed with you. Or you might need to hear, God delights 
in you. And let me, I want to unpack this today because I believe this is a life-giving word. God is not disappointed with you. Uh, And uh, we'll see, hopefully, how this helps us. There's an awareness that some of us carry, I believe. This sense that God is disappointed with us somehow. And I believe we pick this up through life. Um, It manifests in different ways. Most commonly, we know that God loves us. We know that we're forgiven. But I think in some of us, there's just a nagging doubt that maybe God's not quite as pleased with us as he could be. We've gone through the motions, we've gone through the process, we've done the stuff we need to do, we've listened to the talks, we've bought the CD in the old days, you've listened to it online, you've watched the video, you've, you've done all of that stuff, you've applied it, you've tried to apply the truth to your life, but there's just a nagging doubt that maybe things could be different. It might be this, it might be that you could be better. You're aware when you've heard people preach or you've, or you've read the books that you're aware that there's a standard and, and you've looked at your own life and you thought, well, I, I, I could be better. And that's led you to believe that maybe God's disappointed with you. It may be that you've looked at others. Like I was looking at Joeda preaching last week thinking, flip, I'm in trouble. Maybe that you've looked at others and you've watched their lives with God and you've, and you've seen how, and she wasn't the only one, by the way, was she? We've had some great words over this theme on community. Great preaching from different people. It's been a, a joy to behold. Um, but it just happened to be the most recent one. But it may be that you've looked at others living their lives for Jesus and you've thought, I couldn't play guitar and worship like Dave does. Or I couldn't um, pray like somebody else does. Or I couldn't witness and share the gospel like they do. And, and you've not only done that, you've not just noted it, but you've then sensed a little bit of disappointment in yourself. And you've gone, I don't quite measure up to them. Or maybe that you continue to struggle with sin in certain areas. And you know, or, or worry, or doubt, or whatever it might be. And those things have become persistent and you've, you've just come every week and you, and you try and worship God and you know you can, but there's just a sense that somewhere God is disappointed with you. Or maybe it's your circumstances, the failures that you've had. And we all fail. We all make mistakes and maybe it's those, maybe it's the time that you set off with good intentions and stuff just went wrong all around you. And as a result of that, you've come to believe God is disappointed with you. Uh, one of the things that Helen said that we incre- last week, that, um, not last week, Ashburnham, that incredibly helped me personally, was she talks about being released from or leaving behind prophetic words that you'd had. Now, I thought this was sacrilege. How can you leave behind a prophetic word that God's given you? Because I've always been taught you pray into them, you hold them up before God, you remind him of them. You, and actually, when she said that, it was like a release. Because I think I've mentioned here before, I've, I've had some prophetic words I've spoken over my life. One of them's incredible. And if it came to pass, wow, you'd all hear about it. It's one of those kind of words. Books would be written about it and all that. And actually, but I've lived under, I realized as she said that, and as I stood before that line, I realized I've lived under that. That I've been measuring what I see of my life against the prophetic word. And rather than it being a spur to faith, which it could be, it could be a spur to, to trust God and to strive and to try, not to strive because it's effort, but to try and to, to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm yours use me. I've actually measured what I see of my life and compared it with what this word said and I've always come off worse. And maybe you've, you've had a little bit of that yourself or you understand what I'm saying and, and so that's just, I realized that was one of the many things that's built up to be a sense of God being slightly disappointed. Because he said, Stuart, this is what I'm calling you to be and then, oh yeah, well, yeah, never mind. But this is what I'm calling you to be 
How are you doing? Oh, no, it's still not so good, is it? And there's just this measuring, and I don't know where this comes from. But I think many of us do. As I was reading for this, this um, word and just preparing, I, I did a little bit of searching around on the internet to see if I was on my own with this um, and discovered a few people had written into a particular website about this topic. One person's comment fascinated me. It started with these words, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, but I still believe he's disappointed with me. And I thought, wow. The person you don't believe in is disappointed with you, and you're still carrying a sense of disappointment that God has in you even though you don't believe in him. Maybe that's why he's disappointed in you, because you don't believe in him. I don't know, but this, this, you can see the psychology, and it can mess people up. Um, I was trying to think how to illustrate this because I'm just not sure where this starts and, and where it comes from. I've looked back in my own life and I can remember things that people have said and I can remember a teacher at school, had many great teachers, but I can remember one who quite rightly and accurately pointed out that I was, number one, easily distracted. Oh, I'm very easily distracted. I can distract myself mid-distraction. I'm that easily distracted. And uh, many lessons I spent looking out of the window and wondering all sorts of exciting things that when I should have been doing something else, no doubt. Um, uh, number two was that I could try harder. I was always told that I had great um, aptitude, great ability, but not so good in delivery. That actually there was this gap again. It was a bit like the prophetic word again, isn't it? You know, well, this is what you could do. And oh, those of us that are older, old enough to remember Bullseye, the TV show, it's kind of here's what you could have won moment. When you, have, you failed, you're going home with nothing, here's the prize you could have had. Oh, thanks a lot. That's great. And it was this sense of you could try harder. If, you, if only you put some more effort in, you'd be much better off. And I realized that the teacher hadn't done anything wrong, but I realized that just added into this sense. And I don't quite know how to illustrate this, but I wonder if it's a bit like, um, who can I have to help me? Um, oh, who won't mind coming up here? Andrew, you won't mind. You've been on stage already. Come on, give me a hand. Now you've got to not got to do anything other than just wear a rucksack. Is that all right? And hold a few blocks for me. Just, just pop that on your back. hope that's all right. Get that on there. Okay. So um, we're not really making this up as we go along, but it'll just seem like it. So here we go. So Andrew is, is obviously pristine, clean, never sinned in his life, but we're going to imagine just for a moment that Andrew has sinned a couple of times. Would that be okay? You wouldn't mind. So just imagine, uh, hold your hands out for me. This is going to represent, you're going to have to hold these. This is going to represent your sin, um, whatever that is for you. You're going to have to hold a few, Andrew, so just, you might want to rearrange them slightly. Um, or hold your hands out and you can hold them all in your arms. So um, I think you've possibly even, how many got? Two, four, six. You may have done more than six things wrong in your life. I won't check with Heidi because um, the list might go up a little bit. But just imagine that this is Andrew before he comes to Christ and he's coming to Jesus and you're going to come to Jesus and you're going to get saved, gloriously saved. And what happens then is that you, Jesus, you, you ask for forgiveness and Jesus takes it all away. You can dump it in there if you like. And it doesn't, it doesn't get put in a box and you get, don't get, have to kind of carry this around with you, but Jesus deals with all that. And it's dealt with. And that's fine. It's great. But over the years that go by, sometimes, um, I don't know if you've discovered this, but as a Christian, you can sin again. You ever noticed? Because each of you right now, you've got, there are Christ other Christians in this room who, believe it or not, have sinned again after they came to Christ. You haven't, <laughs> but, but they have. 
And no, you have. That's, that's a complete lie. You have. Because all of us do. And we carry this stuff. And sometimes what can happen as we go through this process of dumping it back on Jesus again is that in the middle of sinning and dumping it back on Jesus, what actually happens is a little bit of shame gets attached to us. And we go, I shouldn't be doing this still. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't still be sinning. And as we go through life, sometimes we, you have another one of those, you've done something else, and you're going to deal with it else with God. But sometimes we start comparing ourselves, as I said earlier. And we start comparing ourselves with others, and oh, that person prays so much better than me, and, 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 and I, I should be so much better. And I heard this message the other day in church, and someone was telling me this, and it was great and inspiring, but I went home and I tried it, and it didn't quite work, and actually I sinned while I was doing it as well. And then I felt jealous of other people because they were so much better than me and I started comparing and, and, I, and I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm just not measuring up sometimes. And then what we can do is we can wander around life and we can find ourselves, eventually, we do this cycle where we dump our stuff on Jesus again and we're clean from our sin but actually, oh, I'm a bit ashamed that I've had a bit more sin. Uh, and we, we're not quite sure, but it just seems as though life isn't quite as good as it should be. Do you know? That we don't feel quite as free as we should. I know that Jesus has washed my sin away because he's amazing, but somehow it just feels, you know, I feel a bit weighed down by stuff. Anybody else ever felt like that? Or am I on my own? Uh, and I just think sometimes it can be like we're carrying around the disappointments and they hinder our walk with God day by day. And every day we struggle on. And, and Jesus wants to wash us clean, but actually he wants to go a step further. Thank you, Andrew. And he wants to take away this stuff. And he wants to deal with this too. And maybe today, thank you, Andrew. Round of applause for Andrew. Maybe today can be a tiny glimpse into, and I haven't got long to do this, but a tiny glimpse into what God wants to say to you about how to deal with this stuff, where those disappointments that we believe God has about us, we can deal with. So, couple of thoughts for you. If my focus is on my achievements for God, I'll sense God's disappointment. If my focus is on God's achievements for me, I'll know his delight. What I could have got Andrew to do whilst wearing this and whilst carrying his sin around was to try and do... I meant to do this, actually, Andrew. Sorry, I forgot to do this. Was to try and, try and do some building work. So sometimes we try and make achievements for God. We try and go, oh, I'll do this. Yeah, that's great. Um, look, that makes me... Look what I've achieved for God. Isn't that a great edifice? And I've built something, but actually we're still carrying stuff and we've still got our own sin and that temporarily might make us feel better because we've got something to mark and look at. That what, what, Look what I've done. I've achieved this. But it still doesn't deal with this. And Actually, sometimes this crumbles and it falls apart. And the achievements that we think we'd built then just turn into nothing and we end up with more disappointment back in the bag again, don't we? Because even trying to make our own achievements, even trying to impress God or do stuff for him, if we're carrying around a sense of disappointment, just reinforces. And so we need to start thinking about God's achievements. And let's have a look at those quickly today. Number one, firstly, you're not alone in this. If this is you and you're feeling this today, you're not alone. There's this beautiful image in the beginning of the book of Genesis where the Bible tells us that the man and his wife that God had just created were both naked but they felt no shame. That's a beautiful image. In today's culture, which is so sexualized, 
There's nothing negative about this at all. And then later on we read, after they've sinned, their eyes were opened, this is Genesis 3, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So shame has come into their lives, and it's like they're carrying something in their backpack. God can forgive them their guilt, but actually this shame that they've taken on is theirs to carry somehow. Peter in the courtyard. Oh, Peter in the courtyard. I thought I'd got a verse for that. Um, when Jesus is going on to trial, Peter is there and he's asked, do you know this man? And he says, no, I never met him. And he's asked again, I'm sure you are with this man. You're a Galilean. Surely you're one of his disciples. He said, no, I don't know the man. <laughs> he's asked a third time and the same response. And then you have this image as you're reading the scriptures of the cock crowing and Jesus having prophesied that when the cock crowed, Peter would have denied him three times. And you just, you know, in the cinematic replaying of this in my mind, I imagine Peter catching a glimpse of Jesus' eyes as Jesus turns back. Uh, and in that story, I'm Peter, I'm not Jesus. I don't know where you put yourself in that story. Or maybe you're watching on. But that sense of shame and disappointment and Oh, I've followed him all those years. Peter, the one walking on water. Peter, the one who's seen the miracles. Peter, the one who's, who's been out and healed people in Jesus' name and he's set the captives free and he's cast out demons and he's, he's done everything. How could I let him down? And maybe even as I'm speaking this, you've got things coming to your mind where you feel you've let God down. That story ends with Restoration. That story ends with not only forgiveness, better than forgiveness. It ends up with a shame being dealt with. It ends up with a disappointment being addressed. And it ends up with God triumphing. You might feel like Elijah on Mount Carmel, who'd, who'd had this incredible victory, seen off the prophets of Baal. Uh, and then he gets a bit of criticism from one person who says, I'm going to come and get you. You shouldn't have done that. You're in trouble now. And that one person's criticism means that all that has happened in God's name, he sits under a tree and wants to die. So that's it, I'm done. I've had enough. I've failed. My life has ended. Now some of us know what that's like. Some of you know what that's like. Where we've, you've been in somewhere and the criticism come and it, it comes in, and after all that's happened, it just eats away at your heart. And you, you feel a sense of disappointment, not just in yourself, but that God is disappointed with you too. And what Elijah actually needs in that moment is provided by God. Do you know what he needs? He needs sleep and he needs food and he needs a recommissioning. And that's exactly what the angel gives. Let me give some truth to, to deal with this sense of disappointment that some of us carry. Number one, God takes pleasure in you. God takes pleasure in you. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. Psalm 104 verse 31. Now, if you believe you're made by God, then he takes pleasure in you today. I put this verse up because it's not exclusive. It doesn't just pick a few people. It's not just a certain type of people. The Lord takes pleasure in all he's made. And I believe there's a battle going on for um, the whole world at the moment and people's minds and people's hearts and people's spirits. And one of the reasons I'm so keen to emphasize the fact that God creates us I don't mind what method he uses to do that, but the, behind all of creation is God, is because this is really important. Because if we're just the result of random activity without God at the beginning of that, a godless evolution, 
then we've got no hope. If God has created, however he's gone about that, there is hope because he loves all those he's made and he takes great pleasure in us, in you, in me. That challenges the lie that if only I try harder, God will love me more or take pleasure in me more. He already takes pleasure in you. Another verse says this, the Lord delights in his people, Psalm 149 Verse 4. Lovely verse, isn't it? Takes delight in his people. This is one for Jesus. It says this at his baptism. A voice came from heaven said, You're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I love this verse and the, one, the corresponding one in Genesis where um, God is talking about creation and describing it as very good. In this verse, this is in Luke chapter 3, Um, We see Jesus going for baptism and he's about 30 years old and the father is saying to him, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Up to this point, he's not preached a sermon. (laughs) Up to this point, he's not healed the sick. Up to this point, he's not cast out a demon. Up to this point, he's not got followers and disciples. It's just Jesus. And he's loved already by his father. That's a good thing, isn't it? And that again challenges the sense of attainment that we need to attain to deserve God's love. And without the right attainment, somehow God's going to withhold some of that. He loves, the Father loves the Son. God is extravagant in his delight. This is the second bit. God is extravagant in his delight. Zephaniah 3.17 For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Joyful songs. Isn't that great? How does that work? What does that look like? I mean, it's difficult to portray anything of that without seeming blasphemous, isn't it? Because if I was to try and act something out on the stage, it would would veer into irreverence because we're talking about Almighty God, but He rejoices over us with joyful songs. Have you, have you ever, you know the phrase, dance like no one's looking? You, don't, you, you can't answer this, can you? Because I'm going to ask you if you've ever done that. But then that would show that you've done it and then someone would look. So you may have danced like no one's looking. There may just be an occasion where you've skipped around the kitchen or somewhere at home. Or, or you've enjoyed yourself to such an extent that there's just been a bit of an overflow. You've been so happy. Or in the garden or somewhere. And one of the The perils of life is that we lose that enjoyment and that spark that comes. And this passage conjures up that kind of thought in my mind. He rejoices over you with joyful songs. There's a sense of delight in the Father rejoicing over us. He's extravagant in his delight. I'm so pleased that God doesn't sing country and western over us. And he doesn't sing the blues He sings a joyful song over you. I was chatting to someone a few weeks ago and they were describing to me, we're actually chatting about this first and not someone from this church, but they were describing to me remembering their granddaughter being born and their their granddaughter is now in their 20s, in her 20s and they were describing that when their granddaughter was born uh, and whenever she came to stay with her mum at their home, this chap would watch his granddaughter 
And he, he, he described this, this feeling that he couldn't wait for her to wake up. He'd be watching her asleep, and just desperate for her to wake up, enjoying watching her, but just waiting because he wanted to spend time with her. He just wanted to be with her. And, and he knew that she was going to cry and fill a nappy and make a mess and all the rest of it, but he just wanted to be with her. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? No parents ever felt that. It's only grandparents. <laughs> parents are like, oh, they're asleep. Quick, what can I get done now? Oh, thank goodness for that. Oh, now they're crying again. But it's that thing, that switch somehow, that sense of delight and extravagant delight. Beautiful. It's the same that we see in the prodigal son story when the son comes home and the father runs to greet the son. God's extravagant in his delight. This one might help you. God knows in advance that we'll mess up and he delights in us anyway. Because I think somehow what we're doing in this whole process is we project onto God how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other people. Parents and kids, you want great things for your kids. You want them to, to thrive and enjoy life. And there are times in that process of getting to adulthood when you have deep disappointment with some of the kid, things your kids have done because you didn't know they were going to do that. You ask them to do a certain thing and then they disobey you. And you go through the whole process of disappointment and shock. And how could you not do the thing I asked you to? And we project that sense of disappointment onto God's relationship with us when actually he already knows what the outcome's going to be. He's not taken by surprise. When you disobey God, he's not going, oh no, I didn't know. How could you? I'll withdraw myself from you. I'll withdraw my delight. I'll withdraw my love until you fix that. And then maybe I can love you again. God doesn't behave like we do. He doesn't withdraw from us. There's no distancing. There's no silencing. There's no. Many of us have used the naughty step at home. Go and sit on the stairs for a few minutes. And eventually maybe the behavior changes or calms down. This is the picture of the father. Right here. As the son. Realizing that he's carrying all this. I mean, how much of that younger son got, how much sin had he got in his life? And he comes back with it undealt with. And he comes back broken and everything he's tried to build is destroyed. And he brings back this shattered dream, covered in sin, probably still covered in pig muck and whatever else. And he, he comes back to the father. And the father doesn't say, let's deal with that first. Let's have an apology. Let's process this properly. He runs. He runs and he embraces the son. Now, if you've ever heard somebody unpack this story when they've looked into the background of it, you'll know that Middle Eastern fathers don't run. It's just not done. It's unseemly. It's a, it's a culture of honor versus shame and dignity versus dishonor. There's no way they'd be running. And yet this guy runs and embraces the son. This is... This sense, and I just wonder, the reason I've got this verse up here is because I just wonder if the father in Jesus' story knew that his son would mess it up when he gave him the money in the first place. I can't prove that, but I just wonder. And still he gave him the money and stood looking for him to come home. And if you don't know Jesus today, your, father, your heavenly father is waiting for you to come home and he's running towards you. Fifthly, and lastly, I think, 
God is not disappointed with us, not disappointed about us not meeting his expectations. He never had those kind of expectations about us in the first place. So what do we do today? How do we get free? I think we just need to face up to what's going on. Uh, and this thing, this stuff we've been carrying and look at some of the untruths we've believed. Maybe you've believed uh, some issues about comparison or expectations or you've believed that God's love for you is somehow dependent or you've become dependent on, on God's help and you're begrudging that and you're wishing you weren't having to be and you think you shouldn't be and you're guilty about that. Or, or maybe you're continuing in sin in some cases and that's caused this sense that God is disappointed with you. My encouragement today would be to face up to the reality of your feelings and to put alongside it the truth. To put alongside it the truth that God doesn't compare us to others, that God doesn't have expectations like that, that God delights in helping us and that God genuinely forgets our past sin. You see, the truth is this. That God sees our past as covered in Jesus. God sees our present in Jesus. He sees our future with Jesus. God loves us with an unshakable love and God is delighted in us. I'm aware as I preach this that some of us may be getting a bit wobbly. We may be thinking, okay, I want to be free and I want other people to be free of carrying all this stuff around, but isn't there a danger that if we just talk about God's delight, we'll be like small children in a sweet shop because we can do whatever we like and it's okay. Unattended children in a sweet shop, what chaos that would be. Sticky stuff everywhere. But actually, I think the danger of holding on to a sense of disappointment and the bondage that that keeps us in is far worse than discovering God's delight and stepping out into freedom, stepping out into a moment with God where you know that God delights in you for who you are, because he made you, and because he loved you. I think that actually brings us into a way of following God and delighting in him too. I said a few minutes ago, a little while ago, when I began about the time at Ashburnham and crossing that line. For me, when I crossed that line, I knew that I was weighing up all sorts of things. <laughs> things that I had to count uh, before God and say, Lord, what do you want me to take forward? And and as I listed the component parts of my life, all the things I do, all the things that have been important to me, all the things that matter, all the things that I felt I'm involved in, I felt God wanted me to leave everything behind and cross over with one thing in mind, that I'm his child. And that was it. And that was what led to this sense of God delighting was because I just wasn't carrying any of this stuff anymore. Any, any sense of extra responsibility, any sense of trying to prove anything or be anything or, or make something happen, any, any sense of trying to build something like we were doing earlier on, any sense of trying to achieve something just got left. As God said, just step into being my son. And I don't know what that means from now on, but it's great. And it's releasing. And my encouragement and my prayer for each one of us is that we would drop off the things that God doesn't want us to carry. And step into the truth that God is delighting in you today. He doesn't compare you with others. So you don't need to yourself. He doesn't remember your past sin because he chooses not to remember it. He doesn't 
give expectations and then get disappointed when you don't measure up because that's not how his expectations work. He still calls us forward. He still calls us not to be the same, but he does it as one who delights and devotes himself to us. Not who's one who's waiting with a score sheet at the end and disappointment on his face. I'd love us to pray together. And uh, maybe this has touched you. Let's, can we stand together? Can we, Dave, can you come back on stage and lead us? I don't know what the response has been uh, in your heart today. I don't know if this has touched you at all. But if you could just do something in your own heart today. What I'd like to do is, we haven't got a line here, um, and that's on purpose. But if you just make sure that you're stood with your... If you are able to stand, you're stood with your sort of legs to the back of the... You've got the back of the chair behind you, touching your legs. That'll give you a little bit of room to step forward if you want to. And in your own heart, if you've decided that actually you've been carrying a sense of disappointment, you've carried stuff, you've, car- you've been aware of sin in your own heart, you've been aware of carrying that, you've been aware that you've carried the sense of disappointment in yourself or God's disappointment with you, and you're aware that part of your spiritual walk feels like you're carrying some baggage... And you've realized that part of that is a sense that God is disappointed. And you've heard me say today that actually God delights in you. And you want to receive God's delight instead of carrying disappointment. As I pray, just take as much of a step forward as you can. And imagine there's a line and you're crossing over it and you're saying, God, I want to leave behind comparison and measuring up and not being good enough and trying to prove myself by my achievements and getting it wrong. And instead I receive today the sense that you delight in me for who I am. Because you made me. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you choose to delight in us. Because you made us. Lord, and like that grandfather waiting for his granddaughter to wake up in the morning so that he could spend time with her, I thank you that you come running to us again and again and again. And as we check our own hearts, Lord, to see if we've placed a sense of disappointment onto you and imagined that you're disappointed with us in some way, God, I pray that you would release us from that today. God, I pray you'd tackle the falsehood in our thinking. That as we have opened your word together briefly and we've looked at these truths that you delight in us. That we might not just add them into the backpack and hope that they fix everything, but Lord, we'd let things go. We'd let go comparison. And we'd let go striving. And we'd let go trying to impress you. And we'd let go living up to expectations. And we'd step into the promise. And if God's been speaking to you today about that, just take a half a step forward as far as you can. Say, God, I want to step into your delight. Lord, would you delight, would you let us know your delight in us? Would you set us free from all those things that might bind us and bring us hope? In Jesus' name, amen.